Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. We're back. Yeah, the show for the last two weeks has been at 50%, uh, <laughs> the way I see it. I mean, all due respect to Scott and I and Dave Platt, but come on. Yeah, we also had Stephen Farber in there. Yeah. Um, now, you don't know this because you haven't listened to me in Scott's episode, but I already got the thank you to Dave and Stephen out of the way. Okay, good, uh, good. On that one, but also thanks, Scott, you know. Yeah. He's the third, you know, third member of Battleship Pretension. So third wheel, I like to think. <laughs> <laughs> I love your your fake sleazy laugh. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, now we got a lot of stuff to get to. So I yeah. will say. First off, that this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently on Mubi, they are celebrating British filmmaker Derek Jarman, uh, with three of his most notable films. One is called Blue, there's The Last of England, and War Requiem. These social commentary films are made with an eye towards the experimental and feature performances by a young Tilda Swinton. And War Requiem features the final film perform uh, film appearance of Lord Laurence Olivier. So check out these fascinating works by director Derek Jarman. And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash battleship to redeem now and i want to tell you about tweaked audio.com earbuds which is where you go for a variety for a professional sorry professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great we use them all the time uh, and they're available at a low low price over there at tweaked audio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweaked audio.com and use the offer code pretension for a moment there, you were about to say, uh, it comes in a variety of qualities and professional <laughs> color. Um, Half so. of that shit, they're professional color. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's only the one quality, and it's top-notch. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's see. So, oh yeah, we got our, our top of the show discussion. Well, you know, we, we, we've never shied away from politics, uh, on this podcast, but yeah, thanks um, for bearing with us in the uh, movie journal, by the way, assuming you listen to that. Um, but here's i think there's something that uh, you've been that we're on the same page about yeah uh which is being against the uh hashtag muslim ban uh, oh. <laughs> uh you know what i am against incorporating <laughs> hashtag into the into the uh, discussion um yeah but uh uh uh, the the travel ban that uh, President Trump um, signed into mm-hmm. uh, into existence, uh, executive ordered into uh, existence, um, yeah. banning uh, most travel from uh, seven uh, majority Muslim countries, um, is something that you and I, uh, you know, uh, as listeners know, I'm over here on the left and you're over there on the right, but, um, <laughs> that is something you, you and I are both, uh, opposed to. Yes. Um, uh, and we don't need to go into, uh, all of the reasons why I think the arguments have made Tyler made his argument on, on, on Facebook. You should definitely check that out. Um, I, uh, made my argument by, um, going down to LAX on Sunday and, and protesting. Oh, you did. Uh, yeah, it was, um, uh, man, between the, the, the women's March in park city and, and, uh, and this, I've, um, really started to get the protest bug. Nice. Um, and I'm 
I feel that I'm going to have plenty more opportunities to get my fix yeah. in the, in the months and uh, hopefully not years, but probably years to come. Um, uh, I, I don't really want to get too uh, much into that, but uh, from the movie side, I do want to talk about Asghar Farhadi, who was yeah. um, the brilliant director um, nominated, uh, whose film, the, the, the salesman is, did you see that? Uh, I haven't seen it. No, okay. I have, I do. I do have a screener at home. Uh, I haven't gotten on to it yet. Um, nominated for best foreign language film. He, um, he won for the win for, uh, uh, what did a separation win best foreign language film? I don't know. I know it was not, I know that it was nominated for screenplay, but I don't remember what, uh, he won for. I feel like or it was the best won. foreign language because well, I feel like I remember him making a speech. Maybe it was a golden oh, okay. globe that I'm thinking of. That's, and, uh, that's possible. Uh, in, in any case, um, he, uh, can't come into the country and obviously won't be attending the awards. And I think that's, um, infuriating. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that I'm keeping it together here. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you about Tyler and as put out to the listeners is, um, there's been talk, uh, some other people are saying, well, I, I won't be attending. Uh, okay. So he has only been nominated for, uh, for an Oscar for screenplay for a separation. Okay. He did not win anything for, okay. Uh, so for he that. must've won something. Uh, it might, maybe it was a golden globe. Uh, cause I remember him giving a speech. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, so there's been uh, you know, some people saying like uh, people who were supposed to be attending other nominees and stuff saying I'm not mm-hmm. going to be attending. There's been a, a a boycott, and I'm wondering, is that the best way to show your um your, your um uh lack of support for the 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 travel ban? Like no. because the person you like the Oscars didn't tell the Academy didn't tell Oscar for Hardy to stay home. Right. Uh, President Trump did, and President Trump doesn't give a fuck if you watch the Oscars or not. Boy, he'll be watching, and he'll be tweeting back to every single joke about him, which uh, will be a lot. Joke or, yeah, uh, impassioned speech. Yeah. Um, uh, and hopefully, you know, uh, the, luckily Tom Hiddleston isn't nominated for anything, so he won't get up there and uh, wank like he did at the Golden Globes. Did you see that? I did not. Oh, my God. It was, <laughs> it was embarrassing. Well, what did he do? He, a lot of people gave speeches. No, no. Tom Hiddleston's speech was the most self-serving bullshit. Like he was trying, basically he told the story about when he was, uh, volunteering in Sudan with UNICEF and doctors. That's right. You told me that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Horrible. But Tom Hiddleston isn't nominated for an Oscar. So we don't have to deal with that, but yeah, there'll be, and that's what I'm saying is the, this, you know, as the Golden Globes showed us, this community and this crop uh, this year are, um, uh, you know, willing to stand up and, and make some, uh, you know, some lovely speeches. And, you know, um, I think there's that's important. Mm. You, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, you and I had a discussion off off mic earlier uh, tonight about um, public opinion being swayed by culture and yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. And I do think it's important. Um, and it might actually be more of a show of solidarity then to watch the Oscars. I'm tr- I guess I'm trying to see what is the argument for boycotting the Oscars because of the travel ban. I don't I, 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 I don't think there is the one, honestly. Um it's, I think the the better thing to do is make an impassioned speech. But honestly, when it comes, when it comes right down to it, um, you know what, here's the thing, here's what you do. 
you put together some kind, if you're going to use the Oscars at all, then the producers of the Oscars need to make, uh, have one of their little montages of Muslim filmmakers. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, or like immigrant stories. Um, you know, that's what the, uh, the AV club did this week that a a list of, uh, stories about immigrants. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I hope that it goes that way. Cause I, at this point I am still planning on watching, watching the Oscars, although you guys won't hear about it because I don't do the, <laughs> I don't talk about it on the podcast, yeah, uh, which is still fascinating, but, and you know, and here's the thing is this. Okay. So I'm trapped between these two worlds, the worlds of, uh, of political conservatism and then my own, uh, artistic sensibilities. They're often at odds. Uh, even with people, uh, even with commentators that I like a lot, even with the commentators that I know. Um, Mm -hmm. and it is often very frustrating, um, to hear the, and we, we talked about this when Josh was on, we talked about, uh, conservatism, uh, in film criticism and other such things. Um, and you get so many people saying, you know, like I, I don't watch celebrities in order to hear their political opinions or anything like that, which here's the thing. I get what they're saying, but at the same time, everybody has a political opinion. Exactly. And if you have celebrities are human it, beings. And if you, and if you have a platform and you feel like there's the, the possibility that you could make a difference, then, then you would Pla- uh, celebrities have yeah, that platform. It would be irresponsible so they try. not to. Right now. What celebrities need to stop doing is those fucking videos where they're all standing in front of a white background <laughs> and just saying the same thing over and over again. There were three of them in like three months. It, yeah. it was well, like, we talked about it on the podcast already. Oh, but there was another one since then. Oh, okay. Like we, that, the time there the were two we of them. was about the electoral, co- electoral college. Yeah. What so was the, they, there was one about like, Hey, we need to not vote for Trump. It's like, okay, you voted for Trump, but electoral college, you guys need to turn against him. Okay. Shit. You didn't turn against him. Okay. Uh, new, new plan. We all just need to resist him. That's what we need to do. Now I might be, I might agree with all of those, but how about this? When the second one doesn't really go your way, I think it's time to realize that you don't actually have that much sway. And even if this is the only thing you can do, choose a different format because at this point it's, hacky. it's, it's, it's hacky. It's, you're yeah. becoming almost a self parody at this point. And so, I mean, is there like a foundation? Like who, are they, what do they do? I haven't, I don't watch any of these. What are they doing it for? It for? The, uh, what do you mean? Or like what, what organization? Is it just like, they're just saying, do this or don't do this. I guess when you're saying it didn't have an impact, is there somewhere, does it give you a place you can donate at the end? Did donations go up because of it? No, they're just making a plea for people to do something, but like, like for the electoral college to vote for somebody other than Donald Trump. And then they say very emphatically, it doesn't have to be Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, and they're, they're talking to Republican electors in that situation. So they do have a clear now the new one where it's like, we just need to resist him. It's like, all right, well that's really broad you know, don't vote for him. That's clear. Yeah. Republican electors go against him. That's clear. We need to resist him. Okay. There's a lot of definitions there. Not all of them, uh, super helpful. Um, and so, uh, I think people who put the resist sign up on the crane behind the white house. That was cool. Did you see that? Oh, I did not. Yeah. That's interesting. I've been trying to steer clear of politics, honestly. Uh, and I, it's frustrating cause you know, once that switch has been flipped as it was in me many years ago, it's, it's impossible for me not to look at stuff, but 
it's frustrating because I have so many things to do right now, but then I feel like I'm being irresponsible as an adult. Um, it's, it's deeply uh, unnerving. So I, but I do think that I did get, I did uh, weigh in on one, uh, on one Facebook, uh, conversation where it was shortly after the golden globes and people were saying like, you know, it's like, we don't want our celebrities getting involved in politics. And then I believe I just said, um, Ronald Reagan, (laughs) Or, you know, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump, for example. <laughs> now, I, I'll, I'll, I'll cut him. I won't cut him slack, but like he didn't start in show business. Okay. But do you think so? If fair it, enough. If it weren't for The Apprentice, is Donald Trump president right now? I don't know. That's a good question because he was still known. He was known. He, he yeah. was, you know. Uh, yeah. So it, it's hard to say. But, um, but yeah. And so just like. If he, I, I would say the vast majority of people watching the Oscars are probably sympathetic to what the Oscars are. Uh, conservatives do not, most conservatives and, and people that this would be sort of at, um, don't care. They don't watch the Oscars. They don't watch the movies that are nominated for Oscars and they have nothing but disdain for celebrities. And so I don't know, like, I mean, I, I get that that's true of the people who are, Strict conservatives, mm-hmm. but I think the swaths of um, people who are undecided every election season and people who don't really consider that's, themselves political animals—they probably might have conservative or liberal that's a values or whatever. But I think those people watch the Oscars. Yeah, and if and if it's that okay, so let's look at those people and, and watching the Oscars. Yes, I don't think the a lack of celebrity uh, of certain celebrities being there. I don't think it'll even impact them because it's just you right. and I know who to look for. Right. Yeah, right, right. I think that I think your your cash. I'd say if you're all right. Sorry, this is going to be a little insulting. I'm making a joke. But if you're politically uh, undecided, my guess is you're not super into anything, um, <laughs> much less the Oscars. Yeah. So um, what are you saying about Ken Bone? <laughs> well, nothing that anybody else hasn't said. <laughs> so um, this aggression against Ken Bone will not stand, man. Um, all right. Um, yeah, right. but I feel like I, I feel like like I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what it was. Actually, I, I guess what I, I'm I think to, a clip package or or one of those yeah. montages would be very effective. Yeah, I think, I think it'd be effective a, for me. That's a good idea. You should uh, call up uh, whoever is. I literally have no idea who's. Hello, Jim answer. Oscar, Tyler Smith here. <laughs> um, who is the host this year? Jimmy Kimmel, I believe. Oh, is he good? Has he hosted before? <sighs> Not the Oscars. I think he's done the Emmys. Oh, okay, okay. Um, that sounds. I think right. he could probably do okay. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. He might have he might have the right amount of irreverence. Um, I don't know. It's there really is something of a balancing act when you when you're uh, an Oscars host. I feel like he could wind up being like Chevy Chase or Dave, uh, David Letterman, which I thought was fine, but yeah. people just did not seem to care for him. Yeah, maybe right now you need we need a little bit of irreverence. Yeah, I don't. Know. I think in the uh, everyone's an instant critic Twitter age, I, I think at this point it's impossible for anyone to host the Oscars and not get reams of shit for it that's true no one likes any hosts oscars emmys golden globes uh well i guess people like tina and amy um what i've seen my friends tina and amy oh yeah uh anyway what what i want to say is basically i'm asking like i want our listeners to if there is a good reason to boycott the oscars i will absolutely not watch i just need someone to to explain what that reason is Ah. (laughs) otherwise i'm probably gonna watch because i usually do and I'm home that weekend. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So the boycott you're talking about is people watching, not necessarily people not both, attending. Both. Both. Okay. Both. Um, yeah. To not watch the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars want this guy there. They yeah. nominated him. Yeah. They yeah. want the him The Academy here. is pro Asgard for hottie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, okay. yeah, it seems very, very much not uh, not the the course of action. Uh, you know what is the course of action? What's that, David? Uh, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer in our video segment, uh, Ask BP, which gets posted to the uh, as YouTube videos to the uh, to the website uh, homepage, you should email them to David at BattleshipRetention dot com. Am I right? Yeah, you sure are. That's that's what they ought to do. And uh, then what else should they do in regards to BattleshipRetention dot com? Uh, well, they should go there. Yes, and they can read David's review of. I was uh, pulling it up. Oh, okay, I was going to do it. I'm there already. Sorry. Uh, Well, we can we can uh, switch off. Uh, You can read David's review of uh, the comedian starring Robert De Niro. What else can they do? Uh, See, I wasn't going to go post by post. Okay. Uh, I think let me let me handle this. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'll just be over here, sir. Some (laughs) recent. uh, recent fun stuff, uh, on the website. Well, uh, as you know, top 10 season is in full effect mm-hmm. here, uh, battleshipretention.com, which is not, it's not just the, the, on the, on the podcast when we'll be doing the top 10 episode in a few weeks, but, um, when every other website is, is finishing that we're just getting started. Yeah. Then I think that's, that's right. Uh, it's, it's the lead up to the Oscars, um, Hollywood's birthday. Uh, and so the top 10 <laughs> lists, uh, are still up there. We got, uh, we got Julie's and we got Ian's. Uh, up there um sarah's continuing her 2017 top 100 movie challenge uh, watching all of the bp listener voted top 100 movies she's she's got a forrest gump review up um uh, Jim's doing uh, kickoffing, kicking off a series on Francois Truffaut at the I Do Movies Badly uh, podcast featuring uh, my more than one lesson co-host Robert Hornack okay um uh, West has uh, 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 on the musical notation podcast. He's looking at the music of the the films, uh, uh, the the Archer's films, the uh, the um, uh, Powell and Pressburger uh, movies, and uh, yeah, we got movie reviews of of the Space Between Us and, and the comedian. Uh, and um, Alex's uh, Criterion prediction is still a weekly yeah. uh, column. He looks at uh, Pedro Almodovar's talk to her this week. So check out that's yeah. that's some of the stuff that uh, is on the podcast uh, on the on the website right now. And if you actually click on video, you will see a friend of the show, Jason Eakins' film Desk Job, mm. uh, starring other friends of the show, Pat Healy, and the uh, the voice of uh, Bill Dwyer. Uh, it's a it's a film that I actually like quite a bit, and I think you guys would like it as well. All right, um, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, this is our... Now, we're doing things out of order this year. Yeah. Although in, like, I actually kind of like this order. Um, Do you? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could see switching next week's and this week's. Sure. Um, but I do like um, this order because now this means that, like, after the Oscars, we're we're moving on from 2016. So I, I I do like doing this, this episode a little bit earlier than we usually do, but, uh, I think I do too. Let's keep this in mind. Okay. Um, this is, uh, (laughs) we're going to talk about, uh, now, now this, these aren't our Oscars. The BPs are Battleship Oscars. This is just me and Tyler calling out some of our, 
favorite or what we find to be the most uh, noteworthy or laudable individual achievements in cinema this yes. year. So we're going to go through the main category, some of the main categories uh, that the, that the awards um, and awards shows uh, do. And we're going to uh, just for each category, we're just going to do one a piece, mm-hmm. um, something we think deserves to be called out. Yeah. And I try to avoid um, any overlap with the, the BPs. Um, because while I may not necessarily stand behind everything that, uh, that was nominated, I feel like if you're, if you're looking at those nominations, you've already, you're now aware of those things. Right. Okay. So, um, so these aren't necessarily like my number one in any of these, uh, categories, uh, but sometimes they are. So I, I, I yeah, I took, that's almost exactly the approach I took. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with uh, supporting actor. Supporting actor. Okay, mine uh, is someone that I did submit for for the BPs, but not enough other people did, and I think that is a shame. Uh, and that is uh, going to be a little iffy on the pronunciation. Isiogata. Oh, from, um, the, from Silence. I almost from, said the Silence. Yeah, uh, indeed. Which no. is a German movie from a couple of years ago, right? Is it? Oh gosh, I don't even know. Um, this is merely a Silence, but. Uh, <laughs> So one of many, not the the primary. The movie, name of the movie is not a silence. Oh right, no, sorry, it's simply uh, silence. Martin Scorsese's film. Uh, yeah, Izzy Ogata is such a. F- it's his performance as this grand uh, inquisitor is such a. Oh yes, the silence. 2010, directed by Baron Do uh, Baron Bo Odar, who recently made his English language debut just last week with Sleepless, starring Jimmy Fox and Michelle Monaghan. Wow. That feels like a step down. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I didn't see the movie. of course not. Why would you? It looks like the most generic January film you could have yeah, ever made. Sometimes those are surprises. Every, every once in a while you get a gem, but uh, somehow yeah. that didn't look like it anyway. Uh, so yeah, Izzy Ogata, the, this inquisitor character is so fascinating and I feel like I might be repeating some of the stuff that I said in the movie journal a few weeks ago, but, um, the way the character is rolled out that he, when you first see him, he actually seems like, you know, the good cop. He, he's merciful. He's, he seems kind of upbeat and cheerful. And it's only when he is fully revealed that you see that his, his upbeat quality could be seen as a little bit, uh, sadistic and that he gets a certain degree of joy in doing what he does. But at the same time, he's, I think he would describe himself as a pragmatist. And so he doesn't feel particularly emotional one way or the other. He is a pleasant bureaucrat doing what he needs to do uh, to get, you know, the job done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he's given dialogue in which he has to uh, say, he has to make points that the audience, it's important that the audience say, you know what, that actually is an interesting point he might actually be right uh obviously his rightness does not uh excuse the horrific things he is uh doing to people but that's not unlike a, an anton chigurh or a or a you know joker from the dark knight like some of the philosophies make him so much more uncomfortable to deal with it'd be easy to just say oh he's a full-on fascist he fascist he's terrible let's just dismiss him no he has a real philosophy that I think most people can understand, if not get on board with. Um, and so that actor has to, he has to kind of st- strike this balance of being a real person that you could kind of sympathize with and at times forget what he's capable of. Uh, 
and and I think he he approaches him with good humor and a certain coldness or at least callousness to what he is doing, which makes it possible for him to do it. He is a man doing his job who'd prefer not to be doing this particular job, but he does what he has to do and he sees the point of it. Um, and apparently, uh, Izzy Ogata is a, is a comic actor. He's a comedian uh, mm-hmm. in Japan. And I think that's a, a brilliant idea to cast this character, um, uh, with someone who will find, uh, an amusing, um, delivery. And so I, I think it's a fantastic performance. I, I wish that it had gotten more, I wish the movie in general had gotten more traction in awards season, yeah. but this performance specifically, uh, my supporting actor pick, um, also someone I nominated for a BP, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one because I think I might be the only one in the voting body who saw this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to go with Timothy Chalamet or perhaps Chalamet, uh, from, uh, Julia Hart's Miss Stevens. um, and this guy's on my mind because he is also one of the stars of uh, Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name, which I just saw at Sundance. Mm-hmm. The best thing I saw at Sundance and proves that uh, what I what I thought when I nominated this kid, uh, this young man at this point um, for a, for a BP was I was right on the money. This that was not a fluke. Um, we're we're going to be hearing from Timothy Chalamet or Chalamet in in the years to come. He's an incredible talent uh, in Miss Stevens. Um, uh, Lily Rabe plays the titular Miss Stevens, who's a, a teacher who is accompanying um, three students to a, a week a, a weekend um, weekend long uh, drama competition at a, at a hotel. Uh, she's their 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 chaperone, and the um, uh, one of the kids is uh, this kid uh, Billy, um, played by Timothy Chalamet, um, who is um, clearly the most talented actor but um is also um a troubled uh mentally troubled kid who may or may not be taking his medication um uh, now as we talked about on the movie journal when we got to, to talk about fences like any sort of mental disorder or anything like that um there's a lot of traps for an actor mm-hmm. to fall into um and uh he avoids them all because he plays the character first and the the you know the the illnesses um second as they as they come up in in various ways that come come through his personality um uh, it's an incredibly soulful uh performance um that is uh occasionally when he's at his sort of manic peak it's almost too much to it's too much to take he's the um and and yet um timothy chalamet is so there in the moment he's like uh he's like um the pilot of a fighter jet keeping things steady as it's you know mm-hmm. uh, you know losing you know losing power or the whole thing's about to break up or something but he's he's keeping it in control um it's uh for a supporting role, uh, I mean, it's nearly a co-lead. It, it, it demands quite a bit of this, of this young actor and the movie wouldn't be nearly as successful as it is, which is incredibly successful, by the way, people mm-hmm. should check out Miss Stevens, uh, without his, uh, contributions. All right. Um, next up, we're gonna, we're just going to jump to director is what we're going to do. I like, I like you calling the shots. Yeah. Bouncing around like a, like a roulette ball. Is that called a roulette ball? I feel like probably not. I know it probably I like, has a specific. We name, know what right? roulette is. Yeah, we know there are. There's a ball involved. Yeah. What is the name of that ball? Listeners, comment section. <laughs> um, 
I want to so, know, like, uh, I remember when uh, once on the podcast, I asked about like a, a balcony, like the railing, like what's the part between the, between the balcony and the top railing? Like what's that whole, like, oh, okay, uh, yeah. you know, area called and a uh, listener uh, pointed out it's called a balustrade. And now oh. I have used that word multiple <laughs> oh, sure. times. Sure. Uh, so I'm hoping to find out what a roulette ball is called. All right. All right. Director. Sorry. Director. Head in the game, David. Um, uh, yeah, this is not. This probably won't be a big surprise to people because I've been singing his praises. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Um, you know, I just rewatched it, and so I talked about it in the the movie journal. This is one of the best feature film debuts I've ever seen because this is just uh, he he strikes a a consistent tone, and it's a. It, and it's a mixture of tones. There's dread. It feels at times like a horror movie. Sometimes it feels like kind of an odd, like a dark comedy. Um, there's some real drama going on. Um, it's all of these things wrapped up in just a, a, a perfect little thriller. Um, it's, it's engaging. It's invigorating. Jen watched it and said it's incredibly stressful, which it is, but it's, it, I feel like it's the kind of stress that when you think about almost any thriller is probably stressful and any horror movie is going to be stressful, but there's a specific type of movie stress that is acceptable, um, Mm -hmm. where the conflict seems particularly inescapable. You know, that's where a lot of horror comes from is I can't get away from this and, and it can be invigorating and, and that's what I think this film is. I think you, you are on the edge of your seat and you're, thrilled this is not a this is not a dour horror film or some kind of fatalistic thriller this is not unlike jaws in that yeah we're seeing some pretty terrible things happen and i feel and and i'm invested in these characters and so when something bad happens i feel for them as though i knew them but at the same time i'm just enthralled by everything that is that is happening and so you know please note that i just it's odd that I brought up Jaws, which admittedly was not uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, feature film debut, but it's definitely the film that put him on the map. And this has definitely put Dan Trachtenberg on the map for me. And I cannot wait to see what he does, what he does next. I, it's a marvelous film and, and just a great directorial achievement as far as I'm concerned. Uh, director is, well, it's interesting. You, you, you talked about um, some of the things you said, because I think um the uh, it kind of applies to to my movie uh, or my director here as well. Um, when you're making a genre film, you have to uh, the director has to maintain the specific heightened tone of that genre mm-hmm. while also maintaining the honesty and weight of the characters and their situations and themes and stuff like that. And so you picked one genre. I'm going to pick a very different genre and that's the musical and I'm picking Damien Chazelle for La La Land okay. uh, for, for best uh, director um, for pretty much the reasons that I just uh, laid out. Um, there's, it, you know, it, there are things about La La Land that are updated and modern. It's not entirely, it's not, it's not the love, Witch. the love, Witch is also great, but that's a different mm-hmm. type of uh, homage in which it's, it's, it's almost completely immersive um, mm-hmm. and, and completely, uh, recreates um, the tone of the films it's it's paying homage to. Um, La La Land is a modernized film in 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 many ways, 
Um, but it also is the throwback in many ways uh, as well. And so it's a thin tight rope to walk. Mm-hmm. And I think he does it, uh, incredibly well. I don't think there's any point in the movie where you really see the cracks, um, except for maybe the sound mixing. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that is something, and I don't understand why the vocals are so low so often. If it wins sound mixing now, I'll be happy as far as Oscar drafts, but sure. I will be upset on principle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he he does that while also um telling a story about characters that has a lot of uh resonance and and weight to to me it's a, it's a story about uh a, a relationship it's also a story about things like you know um holding on to your dream and like uh, different stories that have i think that's one of the great things about la la land actually and 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 good mature movies uh like that is that different people take different things away from it you know uh, we talked about that uh, on the movie journal when you saw la la land we did a section where we called out spoilers i won't do that here um to talk about the end uh but uh i'm uh even among people who don't like la la land and there's a big backlash um uh there are different interpretations of what the movie's about. And I, and I, and I find that really, really interesting because some of the things that people are, are, are talking about, like, uh, like, like I said, the idea of, um, you know, striving for your dream. Mm-hmm. That's, that's definitely there. It's not the thing that I thought was the most dominant, but I also totally understand that people see that as the yeah. main theme uh, of the movie. Um, I, I see it as being a movie about how, um, uh, 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 an, an, an impassioned relationship, um, no matter how young you are, how long it lasts or, or whatever, um, is something that shapes you going forward. Mm. Um, and so Damien Chazelle has a lot to, to balance here in his, in his heightened tone and in his, um, uh, some might say showy uh, camera movements that he, you know, that he has to keep track of and, and the large choreographed numbers and, and uh, you know, scenes with a lot of cast in them. Uh, and he has to balance that with telling uh, a story that works from A to Z, um, you know, regardless of the, uh, of the music that's about the characters. I think he, I think he keeps it all, uh, keeps all the plates spinning. All right. Um, so next up, let's go with lead actress, lead actress. Now, this is something that I have said ever since I saw it. And it is Susan Sarandon in the meddler. Oh, wow. Um, if, if you haven't seen the film, which a lot of people haven't, um, check it out. Everything about it seems yeah. just completely middle of the road. Who cares? But there's a lot to love about this film. I'm I having think it's trouble right now, separating the art from the artist when it comes to Susan Sarandon. Oh yeah. What's her deal? Uh, because she was one of the people who refused to vote for Hillary Clinton and voted for Jill Stein and said, oh, so yeah. there are people left leaning people who stayed home or voted for Jill Stein are the reason we're in the mess we're in. Well, I think we'll be in f- be fine in California. I think I think we did okay here. Uh, you know what? I think uh, the 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 nukes will make it to California no matter what. So uh, oh, we're not any safer here, <laughs> even even if we secede, which um, I'm coming around on. <laughs> coming around on Cal exit. I scoffed at it at first, but it's it's looking like a better and better option every day. 
Does that mean I would need to like use my passport to like go visit my mom? Yeah, I guess All so. Right. But you, you'd have to get a new passport because you, you'd have to get a California passport. That's true. Oh, that's a hassle. <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay, to talk sorry. More about moving on. Uh, well, if, if it's just us going back and forth and and doing soliloquies about our picks, that's not what the listeners. We need some interaction. I think they got enough of that in the movie journal, <laughs> don't you think? Um, okay, so uh, yeah, so the I think it's a wonderfully written film as well, um, and it's just about this this woman who lives in Los Angeles to be near. Uh, near her daughter. Uh, her husband has, has passed away recently. And so she's just sort of a, something of a busybody because she doesn't have much else to do. Um, she goes to the Grove basically every day and just loves it. Um, and, uh, and she is, she does meddle in other people's affairs, but she doesn't, she's not really that annoying. She is, she does mean well. And she, and she's able to do great things for, for people. Uh, but it's, it's also very obvious that she is just trying to, uh, avoid the pain of loss. And, but she is still very charming. She's still very funny. There's a sadness to her, but it's not a dour kind of sadness. Um, it's not a, if you'll pardon me, it's not a Manchester by the sea type of sadness. It's, it's more of a, it's, Somehow, to me, it seems more tragic when you have somebody who is a good-natured person and is upbeat and lives a life that is kind of funny and quirky, but underneath there is a a, a, a deep sadness and, and loneliness. And so to me, that is actually, that's a little bit more tragic than somebody who, than a drama, uh, about somebody that is sad. Um, and so it's, uh, so again, she has to, not unlike a Dan Trachtenberg with 10 Cloverfield Lane, she in her performance has to juggle all of these things. And I don't think of Su- Susan Sarandon as a particularly funny actress, but she made, makes this character tremendously funny. I think by, understanding the character, understanding who this woman is, as opposed to going out of her way to, to get laughs. So best lead actress. Yes, that's right. Uh, I'm going to go with a, uh, a home run right out of the gate. Cause it's a first time actress. I'm going to go with Sasha Lane from American honey. Okay. Um, and you can see why Andrea Arnold, uh, you know, plucked her off of a, uh, of a beach she and put her in this nearly three hour road trip movie. Um, she's just incredibly natural and, and, and vibrant, um, and, uh, uh, heartbreakingly vulnerable, but, uh, also, um, uh, you know, self-assured, uh, a, a sort of sad self-assurance that comes from having to take care of herself from uh, such an early age that the character, I don't know about Sasha Lane's backstory. I don't know <laughs> if, if she was, uh, you know, sexually abused or, or, or anything like, uh, um, like the character is. Um, but, uh, it, it's a lot to ask and maybe part of why I'm, <laughs> Picking it is that it's just so impressive that a non-actress, you know, yeah. could uh, carry a movie this, you know, this this massive that is so much about her. Like, I mean, like there are almost no scenes in the movie that she isn't in. It's uh, it's a it's a pretty big big ask, and she uh, is a big reason the movie uh, succeeds. She has a, a an, an energy. 
that um, uh, fuels a lot of what's going on uh, around her. All right. Uh, you know what? We're going to jump to our, uh, our wild card. So we okay. each have one category that is uh, up to us. Um, and so I'm going to go with best score. And I am actually going to go with Carter Burwell, who did the music for The Founder. Uh, you don't hear much about The Founder. Um, I only saw it last night. Uh, if you do hear anything, you hear about Michael Keaton, which is, uh, understandable. Um, but you know, and, and obviously I'm a big Carter Burwell fan and in many ways his score here is, is, is perfectly fine, but he does hit on something very interesting. Uh, he has worked with, um, John Lee Hancock before and honestly the, the music that he has produced has been unmemorable but here he does something really interesting he he sort of has a a theme that comes in uh from time to time and the theme is a little bit atonal like there's like it's it's really just a, a couple of notes but then one of them the very last note just doesn't seem to fit and it just sort of if this theme were just tweaked a little bit. It could be seen as a little as light, airy, and maybe even a bit inspirational. But the fact that it's off just a little bit suggests that there is something wrong and that we are watching a man who cannot really, who is ambitious and is going to be very successful and is going to create this thing that we are all familiar with, this very American thing, but that he, he cannot be trusted Mm -hmm. and that there's something a bit off about him. And, just from the, from the word go, I mean, we, we see Michael Keaton, uh, you know, give his sales pitch as he's trying to sell, you know, these, uh, milkshake mixers. Um, he gets turned down and so he just goes and sits in his car and contemplates what he's going to do next. And the music comes in and it's just, Oh, it, it, I didn't identify it as Carter Burwell immediately. And then once I did, I realized like, Oh, he's doing something very interesting here. Um, Create, uh, crafting, I think, a very modern film score uh, and one that, again, could be a little bit generic, but he makes a couple of tweaks to it and makes it uh, a little bit, I won't say sinister, but suspect, um, which is exactly the the note to hit uh, with this film. And I think it works very well with the, the film that John Lee Hancock is directing, where everything about it seems like a, a conventional upbeat inspirational film but it's about a guy that is not all of those things and the music uh fits that very well it's a wonderful score for my wild card uh i'm gonna go with i feel like a lot of times uh when it comes to the more technical awards they go to the more showy Mm -hmm. uh, uh things so i'm gonna i'm gonna provide a corrective to that and for best cinematography uh, again, I would say best, we're not actually doing awards, right. but in the cinematography category, uh, I'm going to, um, give the nod to Frederick Elms for Patterson. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Frederick Elms has been one of my favorite cinematographers for a long, long time because one of the first directors that I got into in high school when I was becoming a, um, uh, uh, a, a cineast was David Lynch and Frederick Elms shot, you know, uh, Eraserhead and Wild at Heart and, and Blue Velvet, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of early, uh, Lynch. And he's, uh, worked with, uh, Jim Jarmusch a number of times. Um, 
as well. Uh, going back to Night on Earth, maybe might have been. It might have, mm. it might have even before that. But he also shot um, uh, the Bill Murray uh, Broken Flowers. Broken Flowers. He shot that one as well. Uh, but. Uh, and Patterson is um, keeping with his his great uh, sort of subtle skills, uh, and there's a lot of subtlety to what he does here. But um, you know, a lot of times, if you're looking at some of my other favorite cinematography of uh, of the year, which would be things like La La Land or Handmaiden, like it's very much there's there's movement, there's you know stark framing, like there's uh, uh, there these are beautiful uh, beautiful movies. Um, uh, but Patterson is a movie with the cinematography, it, you know, every shot lasts a little longer yeah. in Patterson. And so it's kind of, you know, the, the framing has to be very well considered and, and very, you know, precise in a way, but it has to, it has to not only be a striking image, it also has to be something that the movie can unfold in for, you know, a, a minute at, you know, at, at a time. And so there's a, um, there's a, uh, Frederick Elms opts then for simplicity. Uh, and I, and I also think, um, there's a great, uh, sense of, uh, of color, uh, to the movie as well, where it's muted, but not what you normally think of. I feel like in the 21st century, when we think of movies that are muted, we think of things that are like, like trying too hard to be a little gritty or gray or, you know, or have the, the color, you know, um, desaturated. It's not that at all. Right. He, he sticks with a simple, um, uh, color palette of, um, mostly blues and grays. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's pleasing without being, uh, you know, uh, uh, overpowering or, or distracting. He's, he's the cinematographer. He's doing exactly what the movie needs and maybe just enough more to, to elevate it. Like the character himself. Yeah. Uh, the, the film is shot in a way that I would say could be described as unassuming. Um, it's, it's very matter of fact and very plain, but still poetic and um and full of significance not unlike the character himself um okay <clears throat> let's jump to best lead actor lead actor now here i have written something but i'm going to i'm going to call an audible yeah it's- that's from Football. football. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I do pick up on terms, but I don't totally know, uh, where they're from. Well, the idea is that you, you know, you have a play planned, mm-hmm. you get up to the line of scrimmage and the quarterback looks at the opposition, the way they're, uh, they're the defense, the way they're lined up and says, oh, this play we have planned isn't going to work. I'm going to call another play in the heat of the moment. That's calling an audible. So I use this perfectly well because yes. I'm looking at you, my opposition, <laughs> and I'm realizing that, no, I'm not going to talk, ab- talk about uh, Michael Keaton and the founder. I will instead talk about Mel Gibson in Bloodfather. Um, weird. A film. Why? Just a weird choice. You'd think so until you see the film. First off, it's a good film all around. Um, see, between Susan Sarandon and Mel Gibson, you got a lot of, you got a lot of actors here. I have, that are hashtag problematic. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm sending messages here, David. Um, so, uh, but that's but you know what? It's the fact that he is hashtag problematic. I hate you so much. Um, that makes the that makes a the casting so good. 
is we have an association with Mel Gibson. We talked about this a bit in our extra textual uh, episode, but if it were just that, it wouldn't be that it wouldn't be a great performance, but it's Mel Gibson's awareness of who he is, how people will see him and who this character is. And he's a guy who was an alcoholic. He was uh, like used to be part of a, not necessarily a biker gang, but part of this world. And so he was a criminal and then he went to jail for a long time and he's trying to get his life back on track, but he, he looks rough. He looks weather beaten and he is just very aware of, of where he is in relation to the rest of the world. And he is outside it, uh, outside of it. He has basically been cast out and he's just living in this shitty little trailer park community. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, it's a sad performance. It's an angry performance because his character, um, probably not unlike Mel Gibson himself, uh, based on certain interviews that I've seen, uh, feels a little bit, feels as though like life has not treated him well, that he, he did his best. He made some mistakes, but that he's being judged maybe too harshly for those mistakes, but also, but at the same time, maybe feels like, eh, it's probably about right. Uh, so there's a mixture of, of self-loathing, but also entitlement. It's a, it's a complicated character and he finds, and he, he hits all of those notes correctly while also finding charm. You know, I, we forget how charming Mel Gibson could be on screen and the character is charismatic. He's very watchable. And, uh, and by the way, other characters who have a past with him, the way they interact with him, it was clear that he wasn't merely like a part of this, biker community. He was a big part. He was, he was a guy that people kind of flocked to and maybe even followed a little bit. He was something of a leader. And so when you watch the film, you understand why, because he, there's just a natural, again, charisma to him that, uh, that attracts us to him. And so we are watching in many ways, we are watching Mel Gibson admittedly in, in this, I don't know. It's, we are watching a version of Mel Gibson on the screen. Um, Mm. and he seems to be like working out some of his issues through this character. And it's, it's a remarkably vulnerable performance and it is a, it is a very, I don't know. It's, it's, it's infinitely fascinating. And there's a lot of great performances in this film. Uh, Miguel Sandoval is in, is on there, is in the film. And then, um, Michael Parks, always dependable. Uh, it's just a, just a good film all around, not perfect, but from a performance standpoint, uh, rock solid for my best actor. This is a, my, uh, my lead actor. I keep saying best. It's not, Get it through your fucking head, David. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you who's not the best right now is you. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so this is this is an odd one because the first time I watched the movie, I don't know that I would have called this person a lead. I would have called him a co-lead at best. And it wasn't until I rewatched the movie that I realized that he is the lead. And I feel like I'm going to end up talking more about the screenplay than the performance. But it happens. But it's it's important because it's such a I can't even wrap my head around how difficult a character this is to play. So I'm going to talk about 
Gael Garcia Bernal as Oscar Pelicanot in Neruda. Okay. You'd think a movie called Neruda, that Neruda would be the lead uh, character. Um, but this is a sort of, it's, it's a cat and mouse type of, uh, um, I guess thriller, but it's not a thriller. It's a, but it's a, it's Neruda, Pablo Neruda, Neruda is a fugitive hiding out in his native Chile and Chile and, um, Oscar Pelicano, um, played by Gael Garcia Bernal is the police inspector who's tasked with hunting him down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so you think, like I'm saying, you think uh, on the surface, yeah, co-leads, uh, at best. But then when I watched it again and I it really sunk in that 20 minutes before Pelicano Bernal actually shows up, he's already narrating the movie. He's the narrator of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even, uh, yeah, even before he, he shows up and it's, it's a movie that definitely benefits from uh, repeat watchings, repeat viewings because, um, you, you understand better what he's saying <laughs> before you meet him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's a part, um, cause you know, he narrates, but then he also sort of comments in the narration. Like there's a part Neruda's in hiding and one of his sort of communist cohorts, um, comes to see him and Neruda gives him a bunch of poems he's written that he wants him to distribute. And the, and the guy says, Oh, Pablo, you've been working. And the voiceover says, no, just writing. Hmm. Like basically saying like what, what this guy does isn't work. Yeah. Um, but this is before you've met him. Oh, interesting. It's very interesting. Or is that after you've met him? It's around the time. I can't remember. Um, it's, it's a really interesting, uh, construction and it gets weirder from there as you realize that Pelicano, the narrator of the movie might not actually exist. He might be someone that Neruda has conjured up in his imagination. Which would definitely, <laughs> which would definitely explain like interjections like that. Yeah. Um, so it's weird. So I, I still feel weird calling him the lead character, but I really do think it's hard to explain, but I do think that's right. I do mm. think he is the lead character, even though he may be the f- a figment of the subject's <laughs> imagination. But I, but I do think the movie is from his point of view. I think the, the Neruda that we get to know is based on how Pelicano sees him or how, or how the real Neruda thinks someone like Pelicano would see him, you know, sort of, uh, flamboyant and passionate and over the top and, and, um, not, a not particularly uh, nuanced. Um, he's always, you know, either shouting or drinking or dancing or barking orders. Like there's a, uh, there's an almost cartoonishness to Neruda. Whereas the imaginary character, Pelicano is, um, uh, I mean, he becomes comical, um, as it goes on, but he's not like that. He's the, he's the driven serious, uh, one of, of the two. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I've talked mostly about the screenplay, but all of this is to say that Gail Garcia Bernal plays this perfectly, um, in, in a way that, um, is true to his character, Neruda's vision of his character, and also true to what the audience needs to know in terms of, uh, teasing out over the course of the movie, how, who this is and how real he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it just seems like a lot to keep in your head. Uh, yeah. and, uh, not being an actor, uh, uh, my, my hats off to Gael Garcia Bernal for doing it. Uh, so wonderfully. I think he's an underrated actor. Not um, if you ask my wife. Oh, okay. Well, 
<laughs> is that, she's but, a big fan. Well, and I and I've known a lot of people, uh, you know, back when you and I were at Columbia, and then I also know that uh, you know people that I go to school with now, like. He's very popular with the ladies because uh-huh. he's a good-looking guy, and honestly, as tends to happen, good-looking actors and 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 actresses like they they are not given enough credit for the choices they make. Yeah, not merely in the parts they play, but also how they play them. And I feel like he's one of them. That I I know that I myself tend not to think of him, take him that seriously as an actor. But then every time I see him in a film, I'm like, wait. This is amazing. Like I saw a bad, uh, bad education over the summer. Oh and he's, yeah. He's marvelous in it. Um, um, did and you ever see... I saw the King. I thought he was great in the King. I never saw that. Did you see no, the last movie he did? I did. That's also a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and a great performance. Um, so, okay. Uh, I like that we're, we're talking about some, uh, better known films like silence and La La Land, but we're talking about blood father, the meddler Naruto, which is a, that is a slightly better known film, but compared to, you know, Jackie, it's not. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. Next we'll go with, uh, screenplay. Okay. So, uh, this is one that I believe was nominated for a, a BP and in fact is nominated for an Oscar and it is the screenplay for the lobster written by Yorgos Lanthimos and a name I wish I could pronounce. I'm sorry. Uh, Ephemus Philip Filippo. I don't know. Sorry, everybody. Uh, and yeah, I can't, I mean, I, I love the lobster in general. Uh, I think it's a, it's an achievement on a lot of levels, acting, directing, uh, but at its core is a really marvelous screenplay that, uh, is, it definitely explores its themes, I think fairly overtly. Um, and normally I don't really like that. I, you know, I, I like movies that will in, infuse their theme into a larger story or character or whatever it is. But because it is this off kilter, weird dystopian future comedy that actually, and something of a satire as well, um, that allows it to explore, um, it's, it's themes more overtly. And, and as tends to happen with satire, um, it it exaggerates things to the point of ridiculousness, which helps you to uh, approach the theme in oddly enough uh, a more nuanced way. And and the w- the structure of the screenplay is very interesting because it puts us in the position of the main character where he's learning new things about this world he's in, and so are we. And we're and the humor just comes from just pure incredulity. Um, we watch this and just like, can't believe it. can't believe the world we are looking at and that people are okay with it. Uh, and, and then the world expands and we see the outside world and we see other philosophies only to find that those philosophies are often just as ridiculous, uh, just in a different way as the one that we've been introduced to. And, so just to keep all of these things straight and to craft a number of characters, cause that's the thing in satire and in, in, you know, the dystopian future type of film and in comedies, it's very easy in the midst of all that to, for characters to get lost mm-hmm. or for them to simply be a function of the themes. Like they are there only to declare the theme or, or whatever it is. But there are a number of very strong characters that I get a very uh, good sense of who they are, what their motivations are, and 
the the lengths to which they are willing to go to achieve their goals. And so it does all of this at the same time. And it's just a, a, a fabulous screenplay. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad it was nominated for an Oscar because it's, it's so off kilter that I could see them not being in favor of it. But like, you know, the writers, they know a good script when they see one. Doesn't it seem like every year there's one slot in the original screenplay category where the Academy, like, really emphasizes original like, yes. it's like every year there's something a little weird yeah and it 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 very seldom way. wins but every once in yeah. a while like an internal sunshine and spotless mind like that one um but yeah uh, you know being john malkovich did not win uh but it was right. nominated as well it should have been um yeah there's there's almost almost always one um so that was my screenplay what's yours Mine is an adapted screenplay, okay. uh, and I'm picking it because it's, in a way, it's adapted in more than one sense. Um, and this is uh, The Handmaiden, okay. because it's, uh, this is a South Korean movie. The novel is an English-language novel set in Victorian England. Right. This is adapted not only to another country, but also to another time period. It's, it's in 1930s. Uh, do I have something on my lip? No, no, I'm, that's, okay. sorry, that's just me. <laughs> 1930s Japanese-occupied Korea. Uh, and so, and I haven't read Fingersmith, the novel that it's based on. Um, but uh, the idea of adapting something from another time and making, like, it's sort of like you make a, a case for adapting it by saying, I'm going to tell this story, but it's also going to be about the Japanese occupation of, of yeah. Korea. Like that's an absolutely fundamental part of the movie. Um, and, and uh, in addition to that, it's a, um, it, it, it's the kind of movie that, you know, I, I'm sure when I wrote my review, I'm pretty sure I did this where you can just like string a bunch of genres together to describe mm-hmm. it, you know, because it's a historical romance, uh, con artist thriller. Um, uh, it, it gets, you know, being a Park Chan Wook movie, it gets plenty violent, uh, in uh, a couple places. Like it's, it's, and it's, and it's an epic too. It's, it's nearly two and a half hours and I, and I, and it takes place over a long period of time. And it's, um, the, the kind of, you know, uh, puzzle box type of movie where it's intentionally keeping things from you so it can surprise you later. And it does that without being cheap. Uh, it, I guess like this is the theme of a lot of my picks is it, you know, with Damien Chazelle and with Gal Garcia Bernal is it, it has a lot of balls to keep in the air mm-hmm. in the air. And, um, uh, it does so masterfully, um, while also making an argument for its own uh, existence as an adaptation yeah. of a novel in a new country in a new time. That's great. I still haven't seen the handmaiden. Um, I've, it sounds great in many ways, and in other ways, it sounds like I don't know. It's it's like a lot of nudity in it, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it's a very sexy movie. Which and and you know what? It's weird. I've seen plenty of movies that have like a lot of nudity, but anytime somebody like you just described it as sexy, yeah. And there are times when you know, because I've you know, I've uh, I think I've been very honest more on more than one lesson than here. The like I've struggled with like full on porn addiction in my time. <laughs> and so, uh, so I've had friends that have seen the handmaid and they're like, that might not be the one for you. <laughs> uh, cause we don't want to, you know, tip you over into anything. Yeah. It's, and so it's it, for the same reason I didn't see blue is the warmest color, which I heard wonderful things about, but then people said like, eh, 
there's some stuff there that might actually be a bit exploitative. Uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Blues and Almost Color. Both two and a half hour movies, both with explicit lesbian sex scenes, both of which I saw sitting next to our friend Scott and I in the same screening room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird, like, uh, like uh, yeah, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Tradition that we're, that we're building. It's an interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then there was something else I was going to say, and I forgot uh, what it was. Um, I think I, I, I think honestly that I probably will still see uh, The Handmaiden at some point. Um, it's more just like kind of preparing myself uh, for it. I know that sounds oh. weird, but it's just a, like I said, you don't want anything to, you know, if I'm trying to avoid, you know, drinking and I like had a major alcohol problem, yeah. it wouldn't be like, no, but you don't understand this drink is really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I remember the story I was going to tell. Speaking of seeing, there's something weird about seeing, you know, explicitly sexy movies in the theater when you're surrounded mm-hmm. by, you're really close to strangers. Yeah. Right. And, um, I remember when I saw, not that this movie gets crazy, but it has um, some parts in it. I saw Miranda July's The Future, which mm-hmm. is a great movie that never got the respect it deserved, unfortunately, uh, in a, at a press screening. And there's some explicit parts. There's, uh, and there's one part where she is sort of trying to seduce a, a guy in his living room, and she like lifts up her skirt and like leans forward and starts rubbing herself against the uh, armrest of the couch. And the guy next to me could not handle it. <laughs> he was like, Oh my God. Oh, Oh, like, he, he could not handle it. <laughs> he couldn't even, yeah, he, um, he couldn't even, uh, so yeah, it's that idea of like in a room full of strangers, like I've never been to a strip club and I don't think I would ever want to. I've never been either. I've been to bikini bars. Okay. I've never, I've not been to any of those or, uh, or like a burlesque show or anything like that. Um, here's my rule though. Okay. Yeah. I have no interest in going to a strip club. Um, but bikini bars, even Hooters, I've been to Hooters twice in my life. Okay. Both times there was at least one woman in my party. Okay. Like I was there with like, then that's my rule for bikini bars too. It's like, I'm not going with just dudes yeah. to, to, to Jumbo's clown room, which is the bikini bar on, oh, right. uh, okay. on Hollywood. Um, or is that on sunset? It's on Hollywood, right? It's on Hollywood. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a fun place. I love Jumbo's, but I've only gone with like a girlfriend, uh, uh because I feel like I don't want to be, uh, uh I, I, yeah. I feel like that's like my, my voucher. Like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, uh, yeah, everything's fine. I got, I got one of my own. I know that's <laughs> obviously that's a horrible way to put it, but, uh, yeah. just here for fun. This is not, <laughs> yeah. This is not a necessity for me. Yeah. Um, okay. So we will end with supporting actress and I will go with Jenna Malone in the neon demon. Uh, Oh, you seem to disagree. Why do you um, hate Jenna Malone so much? I, I think, you know, that I'm a big Jenna Malone fan. Yes. Um, uh, and, and always have been going back to even like Donnie Darko, um, and life is a house which is a terrible movie. Yep. But I've always liked, uh, Jenna Malone. Um, yeah, I guess that's, it's a good performance, but I, I guess I'm in the mindset. This one hasn't come out yet, but a movie that played last year's Sundance called love song that's mm-hmm. coming out, getting an official release, um, later this spring. Uh, you like Jenna Malone. That's when you got to watch. She's terrific in that. And honestly, I don't think I, 
I don't think up until recently, I don't think I have liked Jenna Malone. She's great in nocturnal animals in a very small role. Yeah. Yeah. That like she, I believe she, uh, made it onto my personal submissions list for, uh, the Bruce McGill award for that. Oh, for um, uh, performance under 15 minutes. For yeah. Those who don't know. Yeah. Um, she is really good. Yeah. Oh, now i now I feel bad that I didn't nominate her for that. Um, yeah, she definitely makes an impression and, um, but yeah, uh, if there is a heart to be found in, uh, the neon demon and it's arguable whether there is or not, uh, it's her, mm-hmm. um, more so than Elle Fanning, uh, or really any other character because, uh, Jenna Malone is she, her character is not a model. She's a makeup artist, but she's still in the midst of that world and yeah. she can still be catty and all that. But with her, it is clearly masking, a. uh, loneliness and and just like this feeling that she's just sort of drifting and doesn't really know who she is or where she is Mm -hmm. and we do get you know uh an illustration of just how lonely she is uh in a scene that requires a great deal of commitment on her part yeah which she does and it is it is a scene that is tremendously sad and yet erotic in a way that I'm not super thrilled with. <laughs> yeah. um, and that and that speaks to her as well, her performance as well and, and her level of commitment. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it just sort of shows like the, the price that living in this world uh, can exact on on a person Um who is again, sort of a, she's in it, but she's also kind of adjacent to it. She's not one of the models. She, but she is faced with that beauty every single day. And if you're faced with it, but you're not actually it, uh, I feel like it can have an impact, uh, when you realize like, Oh, I'm probably kind of expendable a little bit. Um, and, and her character can be vindictive. She can be uh, funny. She can be again very catty. Uh, she can be all of these things. Uh, so much of what I talk about when I when I mention my favorite performances is uh, an actor or actress having to juggle a, a lot of handle a lot of things at once mm-hmm. and not have it seem too jarring when they shift from one to the other. And I think she crafts a character who is trying so badly to be a part of this world and probably genuinely was at one point, but I don't think she feels like she can be anymore. Um, so it's a, it's a, yeah, a, there's a lot of stuff I love about the neon demon and, uh, and her performances is, is high up on the list. All right. So I guess I'll close this out. Um, and I don't know. I feel like this one's kind of a cheat, even though the nominations that she's racked up from mostly critics awards have been in supporting actress. Certain women is an anthology film. Mm-hmm. It's three short stories. Lily Gladstone is the lead of her short story. Yeah. But I feel like in this case, it turns it into an ensemble where everyone's supporting when you've got an anthology. Yeah. So I'm going to pick Lily Gladstone for best supporting actress, um, or for supporting actress, not best. God damn it. Damn it. Get it through your fucking head. Um, <laughs> I like uh, this guy. I like this character. Um, uh, so I'm going to pick her for supporting actress, even though it is a lead performance, but in a supporting section of the film. Do you know what okay, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? Or would you consider that a lead then? <sighs> I'm willing to make the concession that, well, she's only in a certain part of it. So I guess she's supporting, but yeah, that's the problem with anthology films. You know, yeah. like for example, uh, did you see ever see a uh, Parisian uh, I never did. No. Okay. 
it's, you know, as one would expect, the nature of it, it's uneven. But there is one uh, section directed by Alexander Payne and starring Margot Martindale as this woman who is alone. uh, And she is a tourist in Paris and she's narrating her own story and she's narrating it in French, but clearly like a Midwest woman trying to learn French. Mm -hmm. And it's very, and it's funny, but also she has two dogs back home and that's who she lives with. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't have a husband or anything like that. Um, and she's here alone. She's here visiting alone and she's, she's, she loves it. She, she's fallen in love with, with, um, with Paris. One could say Paris, she loves you. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but she also says, you know, I miss my dogs and I, I'm, I'm, I love this place, but I, I, I'm, I'll be glad to get it back home. And it's, and it's and it's kind of funny and it's kind of goofy, but the film actually does not laugh at her, and her performance is is heartbreaking, but not but not tragic, not sad. Like you 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 feel like oh she's a good person, she shouldn't be alone, um, but she doesn't pity herself. She doesn't find any uh, any sadness in the fact that she misses her dogs. Um, and so it's a wonderful performance and it is a lead performance in a, in 10 minutes, in right. maybe seven minutes of a film. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's the nature of the beast there. Yeah. This one's a bit longer cause these are about you know, a little over half an hour each. Mm-hmm. Um, the, cause there's only three of them. Um, but, uh, I think from what I understand in the, um, in the short story, it's based on the character is male. Um, hmm. and definitely the character is a, is a, is a farmhand, definitely a traditionally masculine, um, role. Um, but I like that Lily, Lily Gladstone doesn't, doesn't really play up like the tomboy. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't play any sort of, uh, you know, archetype or stereotype. She, yeah. she plays the, the person first, which is kind of what I said back at the beginning about Timothy Chalamet, uh, playing a, you know, manic depressive boy in Miss Stevens. Um, the, the, yes, the things that are, that are the, the highlights if you had to, you know, you know, had, had, had to reduce this character to a few words. Yes. She's a farmhand and probably a lesbian. It's not, uh, it's heavily implied, but not made clear. But, um, Lily Gladstone isn't playing those beats. She's, she's right. creating uh, a character from, from the ground up. And I think, um, uh, you know, of the, of the three stories, um, in certain women, Laura Dern's story is the most sort of, uh, uh, has the most action in it. And that's not an actual action movie. Although it does, it does have a gun, um, but it, it has the most <laughs> that happens. Um, and Michelle Williams story is the most cerebral, uh, but Lily Gladstone's story is the most emotional. Um, and I have to say, she couldn't have done it without Chris, uh, Kristen Stewart. Um, her, uh, you know, her, her main supporting really the, almost the only other speaking role in, uh, that whole section is, is Kristen Stewart. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that I feel like, uh, I'm not sure how many, you know, Academy members or whoever got screeners or whatever, but, uh, it's as far as the movie goes, it's the right one to end on. 
um, because it's so beautiful. Um, and that's because of Lily Gladstone's great, like restrained yearning, um, that never feels like she's reaching as an actress. She's just, uh, playing, playing the moments, uh, completely in the moment. But I'm also, I also wonder if, if Lily Gladstone's story were the first one, might she have gotten more nominations? Cause I wonder how many people turned the movie off during the huh. Michelle Williams story, because that's the one, like, even among people who like the movie, and I love the Michelle Williams story, but I, uh, when it played Sundance last year, that was clearly that, like people were like, "This is a slow movie," and clearly what they're talking about is that middle section, mm-hmm. which is a is a section where almost nothing happens. Michelle Williams is mostly listening to her husband talk to another man about buying stones. That's like <laughs> that's the plot of the movie, um, but it's 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 incredible and very well acted. But um, I wonder how many people turned it off and never got to the Gladstone uh, section, which is a shame because. Or the at the very least, the Laura Dern one with that gun. Well, that's the first one. So oh, that, oh, that, that is the that first one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, that's Lily Gladstone. And in, in case you do feel that that doesn't qualify, I'm just going to throw one out. You cheater! No, just going to throw it out. Okay, is a real dark horse uh, supporting actress performance. Eva Green in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Hell yeah! All right, she was. Uh, I submitted her for oh, really? for a BP. She oh, was good. like number five, but damn right, yeah. I thought it, I thought she was great. Yeah, she's the best part of the movie. Um, yeah, no question. And, and there's a lot of good parts in that movie. But uh, yeah, we talked. About, you know, we talked about my problem with the movie, which is mostly Samuel Jackson's performance being off the mark yeah um and eva green is the one who's on the mark she's the one who gets yeah she, she just i feel like she sides up the movie and is like i get what tim burton's going for here and fully inhabited it see i feel like her performance is so on the mark it's almost as though tim burton said i get what eva green is doing here i should direct my movie around <laughs> yeah, that there you go all right uh this has been fun um next week we'll do um one of the episodes I actually look forward to uh, most all year. Um, this is an episode that Tyler came up with four years ago. It's been a while, yeah. Um, maybe even longer. Yeah, even longer because we. Yeah, um, been doing this a while. Coming up on ten years, you know. Uh, yeah, it is very much close to ten years. Um, we're gonna do our through the cracks. So, so these are we're just gonna pick five movies from 2016 that are not gonna be on our top 10 or our honorable mentions yeah. or our underrated overrated or worst of that's right. These are five movies that we think are notable that maybe we think aren't getting enough attention. Right. Um, it's really fun to talk about these and, and to pick, uh, what I'm going to talk about, um, uh, for next week. So check, you know, tune back in for that. Um, check out the website, battleshipretention.com. That's where all that stuff I said before was, um, you can email us at David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Um, Tyler, your other podcast is called more than one lesson. That's right. What's going on there? Uh, let's see. Oh, that's right. Uh, so our latest episode is one is a Minnesota. It's a best of pictures Minnesota in which we happen to talk about. Uh, it's odd that I talked about uh, Marty, the mm-hmm. the TV version, uh, because we talk about the 1955 best picture Marty directed by Delbert Mann and starring Ernest Borgnine. And uh, yeah, it's I don't know if you've have you seen Marty? I never have. No, it's a marvelous film and uh, written by Patty Chayefsky. And so Josh and I talk about uh, that film and how refreshing it is to have that movie win best picture. Cause you know, cause we're working backwards. So, you know, from 2015 to 1955, there's really no other best picture quite like Marty. Mm. It's a very special film. 
All right. Uh, my other podcast will come back someday. I'll tell you about it when it does. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 